please do find uh, a copy of God's Word in the Black Pew Bible. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 13 to 16. It's on page 810 in that Black Pew Bible. Can you believe that it is already February? I said that to myself two times this week. It's already February. How are you doing on the, uh, the New Year's uh, resolutions? Yeah? Yeah, true story. A friend of mine posted on social media that his New Year's resolution was, and I'm not kidding, do more things that make me happy. Well, that's a bandwagon I could jump on. That's, uh, that's something I could get behind. Uh, that really comes naturally. I, I, I think that as Christians, we would be wise as followers of Christ to make our New Year's resolution not uh, do things that make me more happy, but that we would do things that make us more holy. Happy and holy. Are those two things, uh, are they intention? Are they, are they mutually exclusive? Are they... I mean, I, they shouldn't be. Uh, they shouldn't be intention as long as our eyes, our goal is set on the right thing. Remember, last Lord's Day, we uh, had the question from the catechism, what is uh, for humanity our purpose? What is man's chief end? And man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As John Piper has uh, that turn of phrase, to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And we can enjoy His creation. We can enjoy His gifts. We can enjoy the benefits to His glory. And that will be for us great joy. What are the things that we do to make us happy? Well, there's, a, there's an abundance of things. And sometimes uh, they make sense. Some of, sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't work. The things that we do to make us happy, sometimes they work for a season. Sometimes we work hard at, at making ourselves happy, but then we're disappointed uh, when they don't. And then sometimes we are seeking happiness, and, uh, and what do we find? Uh, except that we violated our conscience. We have not uh, been true to our commitment to Christ. And then at the end of that, we don't have any happiness or holiness. Imagine that. Well, it's not hard to imagine because we've all found ourselves there. If we're trying to walk by faith, we know there's been times that we were not happy or holy, but disappointed in finding ourselves trapped. If we pursue God in this new year, it's only February. Uh, we will find happiness. Uh, we might find some sorrow, but we will find joy. We will in pursuing God. Enjoyment in God. Last week, we opened up chapter 5. Now, chapter 5 through 7 marks a pivot in Matthew's recording of the gospel because in Jesus' ministry at this point, he heads to what we know to be the Sermon on the Mount. There are crowds, significant crowds gathered to hear this. In the opening verses of it, we looked at last week, and those were the words of blessings. We refer to them as the Beatitudes. Uh, some, some of you have even memorized some of what these Beatitudes are. They, they're basically a picture, a window into the characteristics of a Christian. They're a window, they're, they're a picture as to what does it look like for someone to be adopted into the kingdom of God. To, to be a, a child of God. That's part of it. Not living, uh, living on purpose as a citizen of a different kingdom, not just this world, but living as a citizen of a different kingdom. And in so doing, we're living on purpose, uh, that we have a purpose in view. We're not living based off of feelings. We're not living based off of uh, selfish or, or, or shallow ambitions. We're not living based off of the cravings of the day. We're living on a particular purpose. The Beatitudes... 
This is a, a picture of what is joy, what is satisfaction, what, is, uh, what does it mean to have a blessed life? Being poor in spirit, being meek, being pure of heart, being a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That's where the hope is. The Beatitudes, we said it last week, is, is not uh, merely a list of virtues or a list of things that uh, we, are, we should be uh, striving to uh, you know, attain to, a, a skill set. These are a description, the Beatitudes. This is not about a, a disposition that some have or a personality that others may possess. These are things that come about because we're united to Christ. The Beatitudes are not a list of things that we are to do to become a Christian. They're a description of what it means like when we meet Jesus, truly. And we're united to him by faith and because of the indwelling of his spirit in our lives. So we'll pick back up. I'm going to read the last of those Beatitudes, but our focus will be on 13 to 16. I invite you to stand in deference to God's word. Beginning in verse 10. Blessed are those who, persec- who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is his word, God's word. Let's pray. You may be seated. Father, we do want to pray. And I ask that you would specifically uh, grant to us clear thinking, spiritual thinking right now. That sin uh, might be in, uh, subdued in us. That it might even be put to, to death. And that love, love for others and love for Jesus might be cultivated in our lives because of this very time and your means of grace, the word and the sacrament. In Jesus' name, amen. Those opening verses I read, where, where's the opposition coming from? Why, why is there opposition? Why is there persecution? I thought that the gospel, that the ministry of the word is supposed to be liberating and free and, and don't we call it good news? Well, that's exactly what the word gospel means. It means good news. But there's something about the gospel that is, when purely taught and proclaimed and lived out, that is, frankly, offensive. There's nothing we can do to change that. And you say, well, why is that? Why is the gospel, the good news of, of Christ's message, actually offensive to some? Well, here it is, simply put. The gospel says to us that you have a problem and I have a problem. And that problem is so severe in our own sin and rebellion and hunger and craving for autonomy of self. Our problem is so bad that it takes nothing less that we can't fix ourselves. First of all, it's so bad that the problems that we have because of sin 
cannot be remedied by our own efforts and our own work. And in fact, it's so bad that it took nothing less than the death of the Son of God on a cross for us to be at peace with God, cleansed and healed and redeemed. That's that's offensive. Paul goes on to say, he writes um, in 2 Corinthians 4, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, that we spread the gospel. And he says, it's the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. But then he goes on to say that those who are perishing, we are the fragrance of death. What, what does it say? What does it even say for Jesus to suggest? He's not suggesting. He's giving this familiar metaphor that some of you are, are, are acquainted with. We as believers, followers of Christ, are to be salt and light in the world. <coughs> what does it mean? What does, that even, what does that even say about the world? It says that the world is decaying and dark and it needs salt and light. To some we are, and the gospel is the aroma of death. Speaking of smells, have you ever seen a skunk? I mean like a live, walking skunk. We, we had a little uh, season there. I think it was because of the chicken coop out back. We had a season there where uh, there were skunks, uh, you know, making their way around our, our, uh, our woods and our, our back, uh, you know, our, the back of our house. And uh, I was fearful. We had two dogs at the time. I just knew that one of them was going to walk in the house smelling really, really bad one day. And I think one of them got just a dusting, not, not a direct hit. That's good. That was wonderful. Most of you have seen, all of you have seen a skunk dead on the road. And when you see a skunk dead on the road, you're driving down Route 3, you're driving somewhere, you see a dead skunk on the road. What inevitably is going to happen? You know, it's not even a quarter of a mile later and boom, it hits you in the face. You smell it. It's almost like clockwork. You can see the skunk or even if you don't, you know you did. It was just past one and it's going to smell. I want to relate this just for a moment, as strange as it may sound, to the identity of the followers of Jesus in the world. We're known as Christians And when people meet a Christian in our world and culture, I wonder if sometimes they don't think in encountering one that is a a professing Christian, if they wonder, oh, well, here comes someone who's uptight, smug, self-righteous, judgmental. Or when they meet someone who's a professing, genuine Christian, they think, this is someone I know I can trust to be generous, honest, loving, and selfless. Two things in this famous metaphor. It's really a picture into what is part of our, our purpose in the world. And part of our purpose in the world is to be salt and to be light. That's what is, is so clearly uh, in view in these, uh, these verses here, 13 to 16. Those are my two points, really. I, I don't know that I'll go in order, but being salt and shining as light, not producing salt, uh, not to, you know, uh, creating light, but shining light and being a salt. There were many, and there, there are, there were, I mean, there's many uses for the sake of, for, for which we use salt. But for the majority of human history, people have uh, used salt as a preservative for meat. We use it as, a, you know, uh, something to season or to, to bring out the flavor uh, in our food. That's not necessary, obviously, because we have refrigeration and we have chemical preservatives. 
But people used to use it to stop decay. Well, I think both of those could be in view when Jesus says that he would like for us to be a preservative and to be seasoning uh, the lives of others that we come in contact with. But you get the picture. And just like the earlier list of Beatitudes where it's describing this is not a, a list of things to do. Your being as a Christian, as a citizen, as an adopted child makes us different that, that is something that it produces doing in us. That's why Jesus says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And then in verse 16, he says, you are the light of the world. You are. He's not saying try to become, endeavor to be as charming. Let, your, let the radiance of your enlightenment and your sweet charisma just you know, bless people. No, he's saying you are this because of Jesus. That begins with our identity. He's not saying aspire to be light, attempt to be light or salt. He's saying this is part of your new identity in Christ. Yes, Jesus is saying, if you're united to me by faith, you are different. You are set apart. You are holy. And that will be a preserving and redemptive thing for those around you and in our community and in families and in the world. That means even morally. Sometimes it just takes one honest person to stop an entire evil plan from unfolding, coming unraveled. Sometimes it takes one person with virtue to say, enough. This, this, is, this is not wise. This is not good. This is not just. And we should stop. Or we should start. We should start pursuing something out of virtue. But there's a real threat, and Jesus knows that there's this temptation. That's why the, the reminder is here. Those who lose the distinction or the flavor, Jesus is warning that this salt could become useless. Now, now some of you who know more uh, chemistry than I do, which is all of you, um, <laughs> <laughs> to a person, uh, I, you know, sodium chloride is salt in its purest, simple form. It, it, it's, it's just there. It is a stable compound, a chemical compound. How, some would argue, how can it lose its saltiness? You either have it or you don't. But the reality is, and this is just in studying in commentaries and understanding the context, back then, salt would be a rock that they might find, but it was, it was, you know, it, it was riddled with different uh, impurities. And if enough water came in contact with it, it may dry up as a residue that's, that looks like salt, but actually isn't uh, pure salt. So don't lose this distinctiveness. That was happening at this time. It happens to this very day. When Christians who are professing to be followers of Christ because of things like, well, a variety of things, apathy, unbelief, pride, rebellion, they compromise and fall into what we know as hypocrisy. They, they don't, they're not being useful. They're being an obstruction, if anything. But Jesus is saying, you are, don't try to become, uh, don't fight it either. You are salt and light. Now, that is, that is uh, encouraging us to actually be in contact with the world and in relationship, not separated in some type of self-preservation, in isolation from the world. And sometimes we, we may feel like that's the best route. That's the, that, that's the solution. I'll just get away from everyone and then I can be pure. 
But Jesus is saying you should be with the world, but you should also be close to Jesus so that you can be different in the world. That's the only way you can do that. If you're not useful, at that point, Jesus is saying, well, you might as well be, you know, rock salt that people spread on their driveway and their, their, their sidewalk just to be trampled underfoot. It's not good. It's not wise. You're going to just be that, that stuff that we've all been picking up off of our cars that promotes things like rot and not actually gives and preserves life. Praise God. We have many testimonies and examples of this. I want to give a, a, an ancient example, and I want to give a more modern example. I've used this before, this particular one. In the second century, despite all of the heat of persecution that was happening for the early church, the early church was thriving, exploding. There were many, many converts all throughout. It was uh, expanding rapidly, and that puzzled some people. And there was this letter that, that was written. Uh, some would try to investigate and understand why, but there was this letter called the Epistle to Diognetus, uh, somewhere around 150 A.D. This is a paraphrase, but this is someone who is not a Christian describing historically what he witnessed and was sharing with someone else who was curious about the expansion of Christianity. And he said, For Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. For nowhere... Do they live in cities of their own, nor do they speak some kind of unusual dialect, nor do they practice some eccentric way of life? Now, in other words, there are religions in the world that are predominantly only one culture, one language, and one expression. Christianity is, of course, the most diverse of any religion in its representation. I'm not surprised. I don't think you are either. But this is what he writes in his letter to Diognitus. He was some dignitary. He was curious. Christians busy themselves on earth but their citizenship is in heaven. They live in their own native lands, but they live as aliens, sojourners, pilgrims. For every foreign country is to them their native land, and every native land is their foreign country. They marry and have children, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They share their table with everyone, but they don't share their bed with everyone. They love everyone but are persecuted by all. They are poor and make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty of everything. They are treated outrageously but behave respectfully. They are mocked and blessed in return. When they do good, they are attacked. When they are attacked, they rejoice as if being given new life. In other words, these are people who are poor in spirit. These are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are people who, I, I, I know some of you are like this, I, I, I want to be like this, who when we go and we speak of the gospel and the good news of what Jesus has done in our life, we just say, I'm like one poor beggar who found some food and, and I've been satisfied and I want to tell you where to find it too. That's not in any way original to me. I've used it many times that it's true. The difference is that they are a people, these Christians in the early church, who humbly hungered and thirst for righteousness, and they were satisfied with Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus calls himself the light of the world. 
Well, let's look at that. Living is light in the world because the command, the invitation here is to raise, to lift up what has already been lit, right? Uh, don't, don't try to ignite it. It's already there. Don't try to hide the work and, and the brilliance and the brightness of the light. I don't want to hide that light in fear or apathy. I do, and you do too. Let's face it, sometimes we don't want to stand out. We want, we want to blend in. <laughs> just, just, let me, just let me blend in. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I have nothing to fear. And I don't have, and you don't have either, anything to produce. Our light, if we're to let it shine, is, is derivative light. It is, it's, a, it's, it's reflective, right? Kids, young people, where does the moon get its light? I say, I, I, Johnny and Jake, I see you mouthing the words. Where does, the, where does the moon get its light? Eli's got it. The sun. The sun. We get our light from God. Why? Why do we do this? Why, why is this important? Let's look again at the text, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify our Father in heaven. There are two Greek words in the New Testament that are used to describe the word good. Uh, two words that can be used to describe good deeds, that is, agathos and kalos. Agathos means good in the sense of good and quality. But here, kalos is the word that's being used, and that word doesn't mean good in quality. It means something good as in beautiful, and that's what we should be. We, we don't want to be a self-righteous wet blanket for Jesus with our good works. We want people to see the beauty of the light of Jesus shine. Where does that even begin? What does that even look like? I heard a, an advertisement once for uh, CarMax. It said, if you want to learn an instrument, start with an air guitar. If you want to teach a dog to sit, start with the lazy dog. <laughs> True. And if you want to have a good car buying and selling experience, start with CarMax. <laughs> Folks, if you want to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world, start with Jesus. Amen. Start with who he is. Who he is to you. What he's done for you. Tell others of who he is. Share your story. I love it. This past week, in my Bible reading, I was in Mark chapter 4, and it's telling the story of the man who was freed uh, from, from demon possession, and, uh, and, and his life was, was liberated. And Jesus, he says, I want to follow you right now. And Jesus says, no, no, no. And it says that he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. What will I share? Well, I can share how Jesus has freed me. He's changed my heart. He's forgiven me. He's strengthened me. There are people in your life that need to hear about freedom and love. 
and power and forgiveness in Christ. Invite your friends to consider those things. Why is it that we, though, hide our light, which is what he's warning against? Why do we hide our light? Sometimes it's because of fear, like I said earlier. Sometimes it's because we're busy. Sometimes it's because of apathy. But it's sometimes because there are things that are clouding our vision. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that my wife sits across from me at dinner and says, Troy, how do you even see out of those things called glasses? They're so dirty. Let me wash those glasses. I see some of you poking other spouses with your elbow. I don't know. But I want to worship and take refuge in the true light. It was John 8. Jesus, I guess I said it earlier. I, Jesus said, in the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have, will have the light of light. That's a true source. That is true life and light. It's perhaps important just to remind everybody that the way that you become a Christian is not believing the right things intellectually about Jesus. Not just assenting in our minds to something about Jesus. It's actually about surrendering and trusting by faith such that we are united to Jesus and it's he that makes all of the difference. But what if I don't want to stand out? What if I just want to blend in? What happens when I, when I fail? People know me to be a follower of Jesus. What happens when I fail? When we find, we should find joy then because people found out who we really are, but nevertheless, we can let the light shine through our honesty and our humility and we can be the first to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. I wanna make amends. Later in Matthew, we'll read this. Out, Jesus says, of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good, is the next thing that Jesus says there. Okay? So, back to this whole question. Let let them see your good works. It's a question of motive, because later in the same sermon, he's going to say, don't let anyone see your good works. Hide them. You're like, well, this is a contradiction. Well, it's not. If you understand that Jesus is speaking to the motivation, it is not for the praise of others or to assuage some kind of guilt within us or to manipulate people or to leverage folks. I joke with folks. I love it when people are indebted to me, uh, you know, that we do those good works in such a way. No, if our heart is in the right place. So, If it's out of the good treasure that we do good, what are we treasuring? Well, I would like to treasure Christ, to brag on Jesus, to delight in the Savior, a Savior who causes me, who forces me in a good way, prompts me in the name of love to love and pursue other people and not myself. I don't understand that, but I've seen it. I mentioned uh, an an ancient example in the early church. I want to just mention a modern day example. There are many places that need salt and light. 
There's a lot of places. Some of them are just a, a, a side conversation with your own family. But you see it sometimes as we were driving last night into the city. Uh, I was reminded as I drove past the, uh, a variety of people in the street and the Boston police station. And then I headed towards the hospital. You're going to see places that need salt and light. And uh, we went to visit uh, our dear sister Dottie in the hospital last night. I'll pray for her in a moment. I've mentioned her already in previous weeks. Dottie, I've known for probably close to a dozen years. And she's a precious woman, a humble woman with no pretense whatsoever. But what does it look like when someone like experiences loneliness and extreme pain? What are they really like then? Under the heat of those trials, She's been in a great deal of pain with multiple ailments, ailments, awaiting a heart surgery. And I'll pray for her, as I mentioned at the close. But she was telling us the story of how she's gotten to know different people who've come in to visit with her and to just see the beauty of her willingness to engage as, with no grumbling, uh, but with sincere love for other people. She's gotten to know one of the nurses whose father is also in the hospital. And she's begun focusing her energies on praying for this other man in the hospital and checking on this nurse who's coming to visit her. So if you think it's difficult to be as if we had to go out with all inertia and energy and, 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 and zeal and skill and force to be salt and light, you can't produce and manufacture this. We are to be even in our frailty, even in our suffering, salt and light. Praise be to God, she is. I pray that will be multiplied many times over because of you and other Christians on the South Shore. And many of you, many of you are, you are, you are very much, thank you. Thank you for being salt and light. In the classroom, at your family gatherings, in the public sector, in your workplace. I know, I know the stories I've heard. I know, I hear it. It's beautiful. Thank you. It encourages me as your pastor deeply. Let me close with this encouragement. If there are times that you feel, and we do know that the world is decaying, and we do know that the world is dark, and sometimes we feel like the darkness is winning. Sometimes we feel like the darkness, not only from without, but even from within, is winning. And there is a, a prophecy of Zechariah that is captured in Luke chapter 2 when it talks about the coming of the Messiah. It says it's to shine on those in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Friends, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, can only do this by enduring himself great darkness. The cross was so very dark, and yet it was not the last word. It was not final. It didn't, it didn't triumph. He triumphed because of the light of the resurrection, and that is broken through, and the brilliance of the radiance of Jesus is there even though we only have a glimpse now. So my question is, do you know him? Either way, I say to you today, draw near to him, take refuge in him, because he was made 
to us, the people of darkness, the light of the world. That, and that is who he is, and that is who we are, united to him, salt and light, only because of Jesus. Pray with me. Father, thank you that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thank you for the wisdom of Scripture. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would aid us to go from here and to live with a new motivation and a new affection. People who are not ashamed of the gospel, living lives as people worthy of the gospel. Help us, Lord, as a church, as as followers of you, to grow into maturity, to have our lives transformed, that, that we might pursue the good of others around us. As we look to a city that's yet to come, Zion, help us to press on to build up families that love and manifest things in community that speak of the salt and the light of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would grow our church family in maturity with more worshipers, that we would be faithful as a congregation for generations to come through new children. Be with those, Lord, who are expecting new babies. Be with each of those young parents seeking to nurture and raise children to be salt and light. Lord, strengthen and encourage people in our congregation. We're not only caring for children, but now find it in reverse. They're caring for aging parents. They need help. They need wisdom. They need strength. Lord, I pray for those who are facing various chronic and, and discouraging illnesses. We do pray again for our dear sister, Dottie, as she deals with great pain and waiting and uncertainty. Meet her, heal her, please. Be with those, Lord, who experience loneliness. Uh, You know the tears that we have shed and the challenges and the sorrows. Would you please strengthen and courage and comfort? Lord, I pray for our youth as they wrap up at this retreat that there would be fruit born in their lives and priorities and their thinking and their heart, that Christ would become more exalted and preeminent in their lives. Would you please restore renew and refresh those who are struggling through relational conflict, especially in their marriage and family. Be with our country, Lord, our leaders in other parts of the world where there's chaos and violence and sorrow, wars, rumors of wars, Lord. Would you please return, make all things right and all things new. Would you bring many to faith? Would you grow your church Will you please have your people, your church, throughout the world, individuals and together communities be a source of mercy, salt, light. Let us shine that you might get the glory. We love you and we trust you and we pray even now in the name of your son, our Lord Jesus, praying together. Our Father, who art in heaven, 